Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another Leadership Conversations podcast episode. I am so excited for today's guest. Uh, Today we have Lindsay Hua, the VP of Global Deployment at Affinity, and Lindsay has two decades of track record as a global technology leader. She has grown her career in various industries such as consumer packaged goods with Procter & Gamble, hardware and software services, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, telecommunications, T-Mobile USA, and currently she's working at a unicorn company that focuses on artificial intelligence, Affinity. Throughout her career, she has played many technology roles from system analyst project leader, service delivery manager, digital transformation lead, product and solutions lead, head of DevOps, and most recently, global deployment executive leader. Each role played a, par- uh, played a part on how she grew as a woman leader in the technology space today, which I can't wait to ask her about. Uh, she's also currently an executive board member for Ignite Worldwide, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to bridge the gender gap and bring equitable education and career opportunities to young girls and women around the world. This nonprofit organization has served over 80,000 young girls around the world and is expanding its footprint. She's worked in several countries such as Philippines, Poland, Canada, and now in the USA. She now lives in Seattle, Washington with her husband and two young kids. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for having me, Jono. Happy to be here. Well, it's a joy to have you on the podcast, and I've just got uh, more excited reading out your bio because I have to admit um, there's so many topics in there that I, uh, you know, there's, and I haven't even teed this up with you outside of this, but maybe we'll we'll need to do a couple of um, rounds down the track because I just, there's so many, so many things in there in your leadership story that I can't wait to explore, but why don't we, why don't we start there? Uh, You can go as far back as you want. Um, Tell us the, the Lindsay story of how you came to be the leader you are today doing what you're doing. Okay, sounds good. So I would probably start it back in 2002. I was just fresh off college. I took management engineering as my college course, although I was really a computer science geek by heart. And I was really looking forward to um, getting into the technology space. Um, And back then I started my career as a systems analyst for Procter & Gamble and did really well. So in in terms of like that, that was my first job, super excited, um, tried to do everything and anything I could get my hands into and volunteering for a lot of stuff. Um, I I was actually awarded like the the best uh, female leader award there during my first year, which which was great. And I figured that during that that time, um, I had a knack for teaching and, you know, helping out other new members in the organization since we were pretty much expanding quite a bit. Uh, And I was based in the Philippines back then, by the way. So. Yep. I started um, taking on team leadership roles 
even as an individual contributor in an enterprise company and didn't really think so much about pay raise yet, or at least not yet, but just having that sense of fulfillment of helping people grow in their career, um, even though I was like new myself. And so what happened was through the, through the first few years of that career, I kind of figured out that, hey, I, I really enjoy being more than just an individual contributor. I think I really want to be a people leader in the organization. Mm. And so I, that, that it started as mentoring and coaching one person and into getting up to 40 people that are now reaching out to me for help. And uh, I also got additional responsibilities in managing those teams to the point where I actually had to ask my, my manager saying, Hey, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I deserve to be moved up to a people manager role. Um, it didn't go through as smoothly as I wanted in that first conversation, <laughs> but, and I can tell you more about that later, but uh, w- what happened was through, through different, you know, forms and methods of conversations, difficult as it seems, um, I was, you know, they, they finally saw my, my value to the organization and I got uh, promoted there as a people manager. And I think that's where, I felt more at ease with myself and my career and grew there from a people leader um, in PNG. And then when I moved to Hewlett Packard, actually, mm. um, I was relocated here to, to the United States and got localized here for the role. I was playing a service delivery manager role where I was providing managing three different teams across several countries. And uh, so, Poland was one of them. Uh, we, I also managed teams from from Ireland, from India, and from the U.S. So it's a cross cultural team, which I really enjoy learning a lot from everybody's culture. Mm. And and after that, um, during that time, actually, I that's when I met my my spouse, and when I decided to when we decided to have a family, uh, I took a pause from work for, for half a year and came back again and looking, still looking for a leadership role. And then eventually moving from Hewlett Packard um, to T-Mobile, which is a telecoms company. Uh, yep. T-Mobile, I've stayed with T-Mobile for the last 10 years, I would say from 2011 to 2020. Yep. And I, to be honest, I, you know, it was my first time moving from a, moving to a telco industry and I had nothing, no, I had to start from scratch in terms of knowledge about the industry, but where I knew I was really strong at was my leadership capabilities. Mm. And that's where my supervisors, my, my um, bosses understood where my strength was. And so they actually gave me quite a bit of responsibilities in, in that department that I was managing and I was managing over 400 resources across the globe. Um, and wow. even if I had to learn the ropes myself, trying to figure out my way, learning about the, the industry and the technology. And that was exciting and challenging um, both. And that's where I actually moved up to a more uh, senior leadership position, which I really enjoyed, you know, getting stretched uh, assignments and getting bigger and better challenges. And then last year, uh, I, you know, T-Mobile actually had a an organization company merge with um, another company called Sprint, and they merged as one company. And it was during that time when 
I was trying to think through like, what do I want to do when I grow up? And at that time, they also gave an opportunity for me to, you know, either stay within the organization, but maybe do something different or find something else outside. And, you know, I know that it was during the pandemic and it was probably one of the harder times to find new jobs. But I, you know, I thought about it and I took the leap to to move to a different um, role, which where I am now. So now with Affinity, this is a unicorn company that does artificial intelligence uh, and they, you know, optimize pairings between two human beings. I found that really fascinating and and it it's like right up my alley where, you know, trying to push myself towards innovation. And so that's where I am right now doing deployments for, for customers across the globe. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love how uh, the current role that you're in brings you back to Lindsay, uh, you know, some of that, uh, maybe some of that uh, Lindsay in university doing the computer science and, you know, that <laughs> part of Lindsay that <laughs> that for so many years it's been uh, Lindsay, the people leader and leadership, and now you're sort of obviously still getting to do that, but, but with, um, I, I'd have to say artificial intelligence would have to be one of the most exciting spaces right now um, in, in technology. And so if you love if you love technology, it must be must be a fascinating space to be working in. It, it is every time in a, I'm in a room surrounded with data scientists and AI engineers, I feel like I'm probably one of the least knowledgeable person in the room. <laughs> and I learn so much from them. I learn every single day. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I want to go back to that conversation you had with your manager, uh, because I relate so much, you know, that in that first uh, first job which was uh was that with uh, Procter and Gamble was that the first job yes. where you yeah and I, I relate so much because I think of myself having conversations uh you know <laughs> younger Jono having conversations and I just think oh you know I just went in thinking it was going to go so well and now I look in hindsight and I can see uh you know I, I can see things now that I didn't see at the time but um what is it I, I guess I'm particularly interested to ask for leaders out there who might have you know their ears might have uh, uh they, they, they might have just gone oh that's interesting um had a conversation with their boss because they were feeling like they're taking on more responsibility than maybe they have in their position description and and want to go about in the best way possible and you know uh in the right way how do i ask for a pay rise so tell us what happened in that conversation and, and what you've learned from it yeah, so at that time, I was still um, an individual contributor, and I wanted to become, the next level was a people leader role called manager, mm. and it comes with a pay raise and additional benefits as well, like like stocks and rewards and all that, and it wasn't my, my primary um it wasn't my primary motivation, I would say, but I felt that with the job that I was doing as a people leader, I, I think of people leader separate from manager. So manager is more of like the title, but the people leader is really how you exude in your day-to-day -day work life, um, deal with people. And that's where I really thrive and I really enjoy. And I had a conversation with my manager back then and said, you know, look, I've been managing three teams already, and I feel like I've been able to grow them from scratch, build them from ground up and build them uh, and working, you know, across different cultures and global 
locations, I feel like I deserve to uh, get promoted to the manager role because I am already doing it. And it's not like that's, it's not like I just, you know, started um, doing that role. It's been something that I've been doing for several months. And I feel like, you know, I've been, uh, my performance has been well received by my peers, by the people who still indirectly report to me, but functional, functional wise there, I've been playing the manager role for them. And the, the response that I got was, well, we're, you know, we really don't have an opening yet. And we really think that you're great. But until we have an opening, um, you know, you, you just have to stick to your current role and stick to the same, you know, salary that you have. We'll try to raise it in the next merit increase. And so I was kind of, you know, demotivated after that. I'm like, why am I doing all this? Uh, I, I get a sense of fulfillment on one hand, but the other thing is I don't feel that it's being recognized. So that frustration kind of kind of led to me starting to look for work outside. And oh. I actually found another company. It was actually IBM um, that offered me a manager role with just one interview. And in my in the back of my mind, I was like, how come with Procter & Gamble, where I've worked for several years, um, they see me day in and day out, but they don't seem to recognize the the value that I provide. But with this company that I applied for, they were, you know, after just having one conversation, they were willing to even offer me the job right away and they were flexible with my terms. And yeah. so I spoke back with my manager and said, um, look, I have now this offer and I'm planning to resign. Um, I haven't really accepted the other offer yet because I was hoping to still stay because I really love the people that I work with. Mm. That was what held me back in the current company back then. And after some negotiations, she then, you know, my boss was a female manager and I actually thought that she would be, she would have, you know, be on my side <laughs> at the get-go, but apparently not. But then she came back and said, look, um, she had to work some things out and actually uh, match the offer that I got, which it, on one hand, I was happy that they matched it. But the, the other hand was, you know, it didn't really have to go to that level or to that oh. situation in order for her to realize it. In the end, I actually rescinded the offer of the other company that I was applying for and stayed with, you know, my team, because really I, there were so many things that I still wanted to do and grow yes. my team for. And, um, and, you know, it, it was a happy decision for me in the end. And actually the, that manager that I was reporting to became eventually my peer. And I actually, um, over came, I had another promotion, which led to me being at a higher level than she was. So that's, that's the end of that story. <laughs> it, it was, it was bittersweet, but I think it worked out in the end. Yeah. I, I think, um, looking back on that, what, so if you, if you had, um, if you had Lindsay back then across the table from you and you were giving advice, is there anything you would have done differently in how you would have gone about it? As, as the employee going to your manager and, and having that conversation? I think I would have been better prepared um, in, in terms of like, you know, writing down the facts of my accomplishments. Back then, I think I was writing a lot. A lot of the emotions were still writing on me, having that mm. conversation. And I can still remember that time, like how, how, 
how I was trying to like hold myself from you know bursting out in tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, just just preparing. I think if I you know had a chance to talk to my old self, I'd say prepare. You know, think about your accomplishments. Don't forget your strengths, and use that to have an objective conversation with your mm. manager and get other leaders as well to support that. So that's one thing that I learned. A little later throughout the years was that you know getting support and advocates from other leaders, not just your immediate manager, is very key because then you have the backing and support of more people that yes. would say yes, I believe in Lindsay, and yes, yeah, she definitely deserves this new title. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, that's awesome. And what about putting yourself in the shoes of your manager at the time? I, I found it so interesting the way you told that story because some of the things she said were. Uh, in and of themselves, positive things. You're doing great. We'll see what we can do. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like she said, "No, you're not. You're not performing." It was like she encouraged uh, you in in what you're doing, but just shut the door on the opportunity, which you know, to actually to actually move up. And and I guess there's a little bit of justice in that as well. Going well, this is the job I'm already doing. <laughs> How can, you know you might not have the placement yet for it, but I'm already doing that job. Um, what what would you do in her shoes? What have you learned? And I'm I'm sure you've been in those shoes different times now, where you've had employees come to you. Yeah. Uh, what what could a leader do who's listening, who has a really great employee who's sort of knocking at the door, and how do you handle that? Yeah. So I. That's actually a great thing. I never thought of that actually. Like, what if I, I was in her shoes? How would I handle it differently? I think it's it's very tough, especially knowing that part of it is is succession planning. Like, if I was a manager and I had a group of really talented individuals, some of them have the potential to become really good people leaders. Mm. Like, like having to invest time like i i normally would have regular one-on-ones and syncs with my direct reports and even other people that is just looking for mentorship or coaching so i would i would really welcome that i on hindsight i believe that you know i remember having those conversations with my manager back then but having conversations about career career growth would probably happen like once if not twice a year and mm. if i was the manager doing succession planning and I noticed that maybe, you know, Lindsay back then was, is a potential leader in the future, setting expectations the right way ahead of time uh, would have helped versus getting, and, you know, just making sure that in those conversations, whether it's one-on-one -on -one about work, about uh, career growth, that those types of expectations are, are set beforehand, because I think that was the missing piece back then was we really never had a, like a pep talk about career growth. And we were told that, you know, we were always told that, hey, we need to have a position open. You need to apply for it, go through the formal process. Um, and that conversation was more like an HR training, basically, rather than having a one-to-one -one personal connection and telling them what you really want to do. Um, you know, a few years from now, you've been in the role for several years. You've been doing team leadership role or acting as a manager, even if you don't have the title, is that something that you're really work, working towards for? And then I, as a manager, could work with my leaders as well and say, hey, I think we should start thinking about opening a requisition or a, or a position for, for this role. 
um, there could have been earlier planning as well on, on hindsight about it. Yeah, I, I think uh, earlier planning, more open communication, building that connection, because I think if you felt more connected with her and, and, and there was there was a bit more, it, it sounds like uh, you didn't feel understood by her as well. Yeah. There was a sense that she said, yeah, you're doing great. There's just no position open now. And, and you're there going, but I'm already doing the position. <laughs> I just want it formalized. <laughs> um, and so that, yeah. yeah, that communication is, uh, it's funny how often things come, come down to communication. We can be so busy, but if you're, if you're managing people, if you can communicate better um, and more regularly, and, and really, if you can minimize miscommunications and build connection, it's it sounds so simple, but it's interesting that that came back to to that point. Uh, let me ask you about that because I love the I love the the journey you've been on and and the uh, the way that you've obviously seen in yourself a strength of of uh, of leading people. This might be a bit of a hard question to answer. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit philosophical, maybe, but what what are the most important things as a people leader? you know, to leading people really well. Now that you've worked in different countries, you've worked with different teams, I know so many leaders who go, I want to get better at that. What are the what are some of the most important things to, to lead people really well? I think listening is one of the key important um, attributes of a leader. So when I think of a leader, it's somebody that's serving your members or you're serving your team. Um, there, there used to be this, you know, with my, with my earlier work experience, I used to think like, if you have a leader, you just wait for directions and instructions, and then you just go, you follow the marching orders. But I felt that when, when I became my own leader and managing my own team, I, I felt like giving them the ability some autonomy and some ability to decide for themselves and be creative and be open and honest with you is allows for a better chance for creating a high performing team versus yeah. the versus the fact that you as a leader are just providing orders or instructions for the team to follow through it it feels like there's that fear factor that i was trying to eliminate you know there is a level of differentiation between respect and fear where you respect your leader but at the same time you're not fearful of sharing out voicing out your concerns and allowing your employees to be able to voice out and challenge you if that's really going to help better the organization in the future so i think listening and the ability to be open to these types of feedback good or bad is is going to be key is is key as a leader for me and the, the other piece that I think of a leader is knowing your people in terms of their personality, what works for them, what's their culture or mindset like. I think that's something that's, that's understood, but not really like a lot, not really well invested in a lot of the times. So sometimes you would inherit a team and you would just, you know, go about your day and just do the things uh, do all the deliverables that you you are your team is supposed to do and you know just think of it as more like a nine to five job but if it's something that you really are passionate about in terms of how do i grow my team to becoming better versions of themselves better version future leaders somebody that would replace me in the future then i would invest time learning more about the team 
invest time in building a good relationship across each other so that when the time comes that I, let's say, move up, move out, find a different adventure, you know, that team can self-sustain themselves and, and that team can still maintain the same amount of quality performance that, that I would expect any team to do. Mm. Yeah, that's really, that's really profound. Um, I, I love what you said about listening and being open and also really, really coming to understand people and, and understand their culture and understand them, not just uh, absorb them into the existing fold of what you're doing. And, uh, and keep on doing it, but really seek to understand them. I'm, I'm working uh, with a leader at the moment, and we just had a conversation the other day around how do you stay open when you've got a, when you've got a star employee who is really, really wanting to, to, to you know, fly in a particular direction, and there's this tension as a leader where you go, I, I want to give them lots of space because I know they're excellent, but at the same time, I'm worried that in six months, you know, six months down the track, we'll we'll realize that they've actually gone outside the strategy. Um, how do you balance being really open with keeping the people on your team on uh, on on strategy? Um, that's really a tough one. Let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. I, I am trying to remember, I've had a similar situation with somebody who's a superstar, like a real rock star, and that person is struggling to move up. So that he was really great individually, and he really wanted to become a people leader. Mm. However, the, the piece of being a people leader requires you to actually be like i mentioned earlier like listen to to your team members not over you know over talk them but allowing them to to be able to to um speak for themselves and provide their inputs and feedback and even though that person that person's mentality was just i just have to be a people leader because that's the next step if i stay here in my role i'm just stuck as an individual contributor all this time so the intention was slightly um misconstrued and and slightly mm. like misunderstood maybe by me as a manager but i would give him opportunities to show to allow him to be a a people leader but also understanding and not prom over promising anything saying that look i want you to get this experience and i want you to tell you know tell me back whether that works for you or whether you have have challenges and his view of leadership also had to be um, adjusted a bit because his view of leadership is kind of like, hey, I'm giving you uh, instructions and you have to deliver. And it's kind of like one-sided. And that, that part, which is a really like more of a soft skill really, but but harder to to go through as an, as an experience, especially if you have been somebody who has been really strong individually. And yes. so in the end, what happened was, after several conversations, several opportunities for, for that person to become a people leader, not by title, but at least through experience, we, you know, I still had, you know, to have a hard conversation with him saying, look, this was, this was a good experience. The feedback that I got from everybody else who you actually, you know, played a functional leadership role said that, you know, it wasn't the, 
it wasn't working out in a way that they were they felt that they were suppressed or they they didn't have the ability to speak out and really were were not um they they would have hoped to have gotten more and better guidance but they didn't and i asked him as well and he also had some struggles as well so it's more like trying to make the the person realize by you know by himself uh some of the challenges and obstacles and versus trying to force your opinion or your decision on him hoping in that conversation it would come out as a realization for that person as well it it doesn't necessarily come out in just one conversation it's probably a series of conversations mm. and just having the person see a a 360 view of everything because he probably has just a partial view of what he thinks of himself Yes. versus what everybody else thinks of of him and same with with the managers and i was telling him i'm trying to be as as unbiased as possible and i want you to have all the experience that you need but you also need to be open and hear back from what everybody else thinks about the the experience and finally he well after he realized that then he he kind of changed his mind to stick to a, an individual contributor role that he was really good at and he was excelled and highly respected for Mm. Yeah, that's excellent. What I'm what I'm hearing in that as well as the 360 <clears throat> is that you there were some really clear goalposts in terms of um, having people and maybe the three that getting some feedback from people was the way to do that and getting his feedback. So to give him an opportunity and go, well, here here you go. Here's an opportunity, and uh, we're going to we're going to also have some really clear uh, feedback and measurables on that, so that there's a there's a learning as you go, which for him ended up actually leading him to to think maybe maybe I'm better staying in the individual uh, contributor yeah. space. Hmm. Yeah, excellent. And, and I, I told yeah, and I actually even you know suggested him to reach out and have you know leader mentors that he could bounce off ideas with. So not not just. Uh, lean on me as his manager, but also lean on other leaders that I was able to connect him, introduce him, and make sure that they were able to give him, you know, sounding board opportunities as well, which he was, he took advantage of all of it. And I think the realization when it came through, like, everybody had consistent feedback, and that's where he that's where it kind of dawned on him and saying oh yeah i i'm probably good where i'm at right now <laughs> trying to force myself to a people manager role because the the mindset has shifted versus thinking like people manager is the only way to go because it's the only way to get up the, the career ladder versus thinking hey there are opportunities for me to expand in my current role where i don't necessarily have to move to a people leadership role yeah Excellent. That's that's a great story. Thank you. Um, I'm interested to to know about uh, how you managed moving countries. Uh, you know, having having kids as as a leader. Uh, in terms of how you know, what have you learned about well being and work life balance through uh, through your career so far with those different elements and anything else you want to share? Sure. So. With with country moves, the most interesting experience I had was when I moved to Poland, because everybody there spoke Polish. That was their primary language, and English wasn't a, as common yet. 
and back then, you know, we didn't have cell phones that you could do Google Translate, for example. So language is a huge barrier for me. And I actually had to to study a little bit of basic Polish in order to be able to get my way through. Um, I, I spent there over a month time and I was just, you know, and wanted really to not just go go to and from work, but also try to explore the city by myself. So I would have a lot of colleagues that that thankfully speak both, you know, speak English really well as well. And they would bring me out um, from time to time and that, you know, help put some more sanity and balance in terms of it's not just work all the time, but I can at least enjoy some of the evenings and weekends around. And I was single back then. So that was great. I had a lot of flexibility. But yeah. I think the the language piece was was the one that I, on hindsight, if I could change one thing or at least adjust one thing, I would probably be more well prepared in, in that aspect. And also learning about um, the the city. Um, so at that time, I just had the assumption that oh, it's a it's a different city, and I've never really worked outside of Philippines back then. And I was like put my put my guard down. And so what what happened was there was a period back then where I was, you know, riding the bus, didn't really know better and um, actually, you know, got got some of my stuff stolen from me, which I didn't even know until I got back to the hotel. And that included a lot of my valuables and having Mm -hmm. thought like, oh, I didn't realize it would happen to this country where, you know, I thought that everybody, I had this weird... I had this false assumption of security when mm. I had, and you know that that probably was one of the things that I could have learned a little bit earlier, or planned for a little better. Um, and then talk, just talking to my colleagues back then, they said, "Yep, that's actually pretty um, common. Uh, you just need to make sure that you're, you know, <laughs> well prepared, not." Put all the your your valuables on one area. Make sure that it's kind of spread out. Um, that was a lesson learned from me. That I never even bothered to ask about it until it happened to me. Yeah. But but thankfully, I got a lot of support from from my company and from my colleagues who helped me get sorted out. And so I was able to stay the rest of my time in Poland before going back to um, to my home country and you know go through um, life as usual. But that was, I think easier than than moving to the US. So with the US, when I got localized, I was newly married back then. So not only did I have to adjust to a new country, but also adjust from being single to being married. And I think and we had a new we didn't have a home back then. We we had to look for a house the the that first month that I came and and trying to figure out the lay of the land, adjusting to the weather as well. It was one of the worst winters um, when I moved to here in the U.S. So moving from a tropical country to a the worst winter of all time in in the U.S. It was like a big culture shock for me, um, not knowing how the um, just trying to learn how the public transportation works. So it was a lot of adjustments for me. And I think after that that first few months, I made a decision not to stay in that city anymore and was looking for an excuse to find work um, that had better environment of, you know, a city that has better public transportation or 
city that I could thrive um, both from a work aspiration perspective and also where I would where I and my husband would would raise my family. So back then I was actually in Cincinnati, Ohio. And yep. that first month was a month of adjustment. We I would work, you know, regular hours the through the day. And at night I was building furniture that I bought from IKEA because <laughs> the, the townhouse that we rented had no furniture whatsoever. So we would like sleep in the floor for the first week until we had a bed <laughs> and try to get, you know, takeout food because we didn't have any kitchen appliances. So oh. <laughs> it was it was an interesting ride and and really after we settled for a few months after a few months when things got settled then that's the time that we decided hey why not you know we were really thinking about starting a family and um and fortunately my my first my my, my first child actually was uh born in cincinnati as well and i think when she was born um that's when i realized really that you know building a family we really wanted a place that has a lot of great diversity where and it's closer to, to family or relatives and friends and seattle was one of the places that that ticked off that mark and my husband and i were were in this silly competition where we said okay let's apply to companies that are based in seattle and there were three other cities that we were looking for yeah uh we said okay san francisco was one new york was another um and the third one was uh texas and we're like Whoever finds a job first, uh, that's where we'll all move. And interestingly enough, my <laughs> interestingly enough, my husband found a job in Seattle, and I actually found a job in Texas. And we were thinking which which company works better. And in the end, we decided that his opportunity was much better, and that that was the place where we had uh, closer relatives, closer friends. And so we decided to move here. Um, over 10 years ago and have not looked ever since elsewhere. And we're, we, I had my second kid here. And during the time where I, when I had my maternity leave, um, I took six months off work. And it was really to allow myself and my husband to really reflect on how do we really want to, to build our family and not just, you know, do the maternity leave and go back to work and do things th the same way as we were used to but trying to it was intentional for us to really make a change and that investment of time was i think worth it yeah i i think that's um i love that story i particularly love the competition <laughs> you and your husband had that's <laughs> just uh i just like i just love that and it's like you know winner takes all whoever 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 <laughs> gets the job first the other one has to just find a job there too uh, that's just so. Uh, that's just gorgeous. Um, so yeah, so Seattle. It's funny. It's funny for me. One of my um, my my sister and I, when we were growing up, one of the movies that was probably I probably watched thirty times was Sleepless in Seattle. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with Tom Hanks yes. and Meg Ryan. Yeah. So I have to admit mm -hmm. that that is uh, a majority of what I know about Seattle is my uh, <laughs> my growing up. Uh, but um, it's so lovely that you found a place that, that you love so much. Uh, so through these, you know, through those seasons of maternity leave and um, what, and now as well, I think um, it's not just here in Australia. I've noticed uh, around the world that employee well-being is uh, becoming, I, I think leaders are realizing more and more and more you can have fantastic people 
that you can treat them amazingly, but the idea of people burning out or um, or, or leaving because of well-being is becoming more and more of an issue. Um, how how have you managed that for yourself, and and what have you learnt about uh, employee well-being in the workplace as a people leader, and and helping? Yeah. You know, what can we do as leaders? What should we be aware of? for managing our own well-being and how can we invest in that in the people we lead? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I, I realized it for myself when I was still um, an individual contributor when I started work. Back then, I thought that, I thought of myself as, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm single, I can take work whenever people just ask me to. There was a role that I took that on hindsight, I felt, you know, on hindsight, I think that was a crazy role for me to take on because it was a 24 by seven job and I really didn't have a backup uh, person. So I was a 24 by seven. Uh, and I think, and I think at that time it was okay for me because I thought, well, I don't really have any obligations outside of work and I can manage it. But there was a time when I probably lost um, sleep lost like i can't sometimes like differentiate between night and day because i've been getting calls like at 2 a.m 4 a.m uh in the morning and still had to do my day job once i get to the office so it it really burned me out to the point where i knew it was enough uh, enough was enough and really then spoke up to to my supervisor and boss back then and said, I, I really need, you know, at least one more people, if not two, because we need to divide eight hours into like three people. And um, I think that's when I, I started being more passionate about employees well-being. So every time I have a conversation as a leader with, with somebody else, that's like really one of the first questions that I ask is how are you and spending a few minutes of the time just understanding how are they as a person how's their how's their work life balance and what is their definition of work life balance because it's not necessarily the same for everyone mm. my definition right right now is way different back then back then is if i can go out with my friends over the weekend or at night that <laughs> that's my work life balance but but now that i have a family i need to think about um my my kids uh, uh, schooling or after school activities um responsibilities at home and chores as well so for me now um my so my ideal work life balance situation right now is is i think where i'm at where i get to start my day early but also get to end my day early and then i can handle all the things with my children um in the mid-afternoon or onwards to the evening without having to worry too much about work during that time and i can like just focus my time with my family and not having to fidget myself looking at my cell phone every 10 minutes looking to see did somebody message me or is there a fire drill um i'm really like at this point where i feel like um work life where work-life balance and this is true also for women who not you know, both single or both who have families or obligations. That's one thing when I check in with with women in, in the company that I'm at, at Affinity, I, I talk to them about um, work-life balance and, you know, what is really a priority for you? If you're someone that's aspiring to move up the career ladder, of course, there will be some sacrifices and and challenges along the way. But is that something that you are intentional and decided on versus 
you know, trying to think that you can have everything um, sometimes is is a dream. And I've, I've realized that the hard way where I thought, oh, I can be a mother, I can be a, a, a great people leader at the same time, and I can be this superwoman. Um, well, while I've seen other people do that, it's not it's not 100% the reality. <laughs> and just trying to set expectations as well um, with with my peers and my bosses saying, hey, you know, I, I have a life outside of work also and setting expectations with them has helped a lot. And yes. I think what where I'm fortunate is that the people that I work with are, you know, whether they're in the same situation that I am or not, but they are well understanding of it and everybody respects it. I, and I think it became more apparent actually with the pandemic where you are working at yes. home, you have kids at home as well. And it became more apparent that people just need to be more, give more grace and be more understanding of the situation where everyone is at. And I think as with, even with my husband, who is also working from home, we also had to help, you know, align on expectations on what he would do versus what I would do and at what time. So there is a balance. There's also work-life balance for him and not just for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you manage those conversations with your bosses around expectations or with with other leaders around expectations? Yeah, so I, I told them what my, I think in the, this was probably in the very early stages when I joined the company and having to ask about uh, working schedules and what's the expectation for working at nights or working on weekends just for me to level set myself because I don't want to be expecting that I won't be ever called and then expecting that you should. And fortunately my, my boss who is also um, a father and has kids, young kids like myself has said, you know what, you do what you have to do with your family. If you have to, take some time off. If you have need to take a break, feel free to do that. The only time that he would expect like we, I be at my utmost like focus at work is when we are actually meeting with customers because it's in a more professional uh, environment, even though it's virtual. And yes. I said, that's totally doable. And, you know, there would be times where I would be traveling when the when the travel restrictions are over. And I think the the level, like the amount of travel, which was very minimal for me, was something that's really acceptable and something that I can pre-plan ahead of time. Uh, and so that was something that worked out really well. And so to this day, um, so I've been in the company for over a year now. To this day, I still feel like I have the ability to decide for myself when I would start and stop working without without losing the ball in terms of my deliverables and without losing the ball in terms of checking in with my team and making sure that they are in good hands, even if I wasn't available. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. And um, I think for me, I'm, I'm always shocked when organizations have a culture or when people have a perspective where they, where they don't understand uh, that if you have someone who's incredible, if you have someone, if you have someone on your team who is, you know, really uh, brings a humility, is is great at leading people, is, um, you know, really excellent at at their job. I I just I never understand why organisations don't take a 
firmer hold of this idea of saying to them, you know what, these are your KPIs and, and, and how you get there, how you spend your time. You know, we, we believe in you, let's make it work. Um, and so I'm so happy to hear that's, that's your experience uh, because it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it, makes, it makes so much sense to me because it, it, it means if you don't have that work-life balance, it doesn't matter how well things are going at work, it does. It does uh, make everything harder, and it and it can on, honestly lead to people uh, leaving the leaving the company. Um, what have you learned? You mentioned before about uh, women in leadership. What's your What's your perspective on women in in leadership in twenty twenty one as as a woman in in leadership? And like you said, balancing the challenges of. Uh, of being a woman in leadership? I know that's a general topic, but I'll let you sort of take that where you want to take it. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, I, I really think that women in leadership deserves much more attention. I mean, it's getting a lot of attention now, but there, there really, there's still a lot more ways to, to work on, a lot more things to work on in terms of increasing the number of, of diversity, what, women in particular, but also other minorities uh, within the organization. And the ones that I've been at, and the companies that I've been at, I really can see the distinct um, difference in terms of how women are treated uh, and also the number of women in leadership positions. So there's definitely a bias in terms of, or double standard that I, I can see. And it's, Everybody in the, I think there is acknowledgement from both women and men that yes, something needs to be done. And Mm. there's now, you know, some strides to increase not only women presence in the organization, especially in technology side. So for example, I, you know, in, in the technology organizations, there are women that if you think about the ratio, there's only... 20, 30% of women, and then the rest of the 70% are, are men. And I mm. think if I think about, you know, the ability of both men and women to thrive and succeed in a, in a company, in a software development company or in technology, there's definitely studies that show that women actually excel if not as equal to men in school, but sometimes they're even, you know, a point or a level higher than, than with men that, you know, graduate in certain um, technology courses, which to me yeah. is, is kind of interesting figuring out, well, if, if all if the women in general, in average statistics show that they are excelling far more than, than men, how come it's, it's the opposite scale when you see them in, technology organizations <laughs> mm. and and um so there there's intent now to increase the hiring or the the amount of the number of women in the technology workforce there's also um more i would say m- there's also changes in ways on how we do hiring like in the past you 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 would see everybody's uh CV or resume, and you would say, okay, you would have your, you would see their first name. Now there's actually an option to just remove that and just everything, anonymize the gender. So you don't actually look at, you know, whether it's a male or a female, um, just based on the, the name of what's in the CV. 
Um, mm. And I'm glad that you know we have all these questions not to ask <laughs> during an interview. <laughs> um, that that helps protect also and just focus that helps protect women and also helps just focus really on what has that person accomplished and what is the potential of that person, you know, coming into the organization. So um, there, there's more things that are happening now that I'm really, really proud of. And yep. most recently, I'm part of this group. It's called uh, the Women at Affinity. And what that really means is it's a group of women who started, you know, a, a number of initiatives to help encourage engagement of women in the organization help spread the word and uplift women in terms of their roles in terms of making sure that they are taken care of um and it was something that was created uh, a few years ago by by a group of women just thinking how do we how do we increase awareness and help improve uh, women you know the morale in the company because back then the the women men um resource allocation was still way the, the gap of men and women in the technology company was wider actually than, than now and so with that actually helped create programs that allowed for mentoring allowed for listening to whether internal or external speakers about women speakers about their experiences and how to provide guidance in terms of navigating your career and and um, moving forward in, in the company. And I think that has really helped a lot, which I'm really proud of. And apart from that, uh, doing some some of the outreach activities, like I'm part of this board, uh, I'm a board member of a nonprofit organization called Ignite, which was it, which is just primarily created to help bring education and work career opportunities for, for young girls and non-binary students. And mm -hmm. When I asked the founder about it, she said, well, there's already a lot of STEM clubs for men and for young boys, but none necessarily just for young girls. And there, there were already a lot of like little organizations here and there that was starting up. And she really felt strongly about let's increase the number of, of women in the workforce, but we should start it when they are still young and still trying to figure it out. Like what do they really want to do when they grow up? And uh, giving them the option of understanding what STEM is, what technology is, and so I I happily volunteered and you know be, become a member of their board of directors and helping them now actually expand um, their presence across twenty more cities here in the United States. So that for for me is a fulfilling personal mission outside of work. So. Mm -hmm. Women empowering women is really a, a passionate topic for me. Yeah, I think um, it's amazing what you're doing at uh, what you're part of at Ignite. <clears throat> um, what do you see as for for leaders out there who hear this and share your passion around this topic? What can the what can we do? What are some everyday things or what you know, that you're seeing at the moment, or a change in perspective, or a little? Uh, a little shift that can make a difference in how we uh, treat and how we empower and how we invest in women leaders? I, th I think one is look at your organization for now as a leader. How do you think about the diversity of your group? And if, if there is no diversity at all, then acknowledge that there isn't and work with 
your HR partners or with your other peer leaders to find a way to increase the diversity. Um, think about your organization who has shown potential and not really think about their 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 backgrounds and and gender. So if you think about it from an objective way, regardless of whether you're male, female, non-binary, think about how has this person really excelled in the role? And would I, if I had a way to reorganize my my team, how would that look like from from that perspective? And when I actually did that exercise a few years ago with my team and realized how how much um, how much there were up you know there were lack of opportunities for the women in my team that I inherited, but they were excelling a lot and and they were just not given the proper attention, care, and feeding that I would have you know that that anyone like there there's you know, previous supervisors, previous organizations should have given them. Yeah. And just providing that focus, even if it's just one person. So investing on that person, which later on will will prove to be fruitful because that one person can pay it forward to the next two people and the next two people can pay it forward to more people. And I think when that person actually, I've invested a lot of that time with that, with, with that uh, woman, that uh, was initially an individual contributor. She started at a you know mid-range individual contributor role, but she had so much potential and was just not given that much attention. And when I focused and worked with her in terms of how to grow her career, she now has like the highest role that a person could ever attain in in that company right now as an individual contributor. And she really just wanted to become an individual contributor, which I highly respect. And she, could she be a people leader? Absolutely, yes. But her desire was to um, stay there and help her achieve the, her max potential, which I think uh, if anyone, if, as a people leader, just having that second look and allowing yourself to be, to be acknowledged that there are some gaps with you as a leader and trying to correct that slowly and not, not necessarily overnight, but slowly and surely look at the people that actually show potential and promise and work with that person. I would say like using the, the Pareto, Pareto principle of 80%, you should focus your time on the high performers, but make sure that you are unbiased when looking at them and the, and that will reap a lot of benefits for sure. Yeah, that's um, that's a great strategy. I, one of the things I often do with teams and uh, and with leaders is we do a, a bit of a, a chart of the people in their team, uh, sometimes in their wider team, so a couple of levels uh, across that they're leading, and uh, and we go through mainly focusing on the core values. If I've worked on an with an organization on their core values, but also there's there's a great book uh, by Patrick Lencioni called The Ideal Team Player. I don't know if you've come across uh, come across that book, uh, but it's uh, he talks about these three traits: humble, hungry, and people smart. And you know, humble being humility, hungry that sort of drive and going above and beyond naturally, which often often people have instilled to them from a young age, and people smart that emotional intelligence, you know, e- EQ. And uh, one of the things I love to do is to get people to just map out, you know 
for their people, where they think that some of their people are really strong in these areas, like humility. Who are some people who are really, you know, really strong in humility and those who it's a bit of a struggle, they tend to, uh, they tend to silo a bit or they struggle to admit their weaknesses. And one of the fascinating things of doing that exercise is because you stop and, and, uh, and it's obviously something you never share with, <laughs> it's something I do privately with the leader and then it's not mm-hmm. shared with everyone, that's not the point of it. But the point is to open their eyes to people that they may have underestimated because there'll often be someone who really ticks these different boxes but for some reason, and I think that's the thing about bias, isn't it? You don't know uh, because the whole point of bias is that you don't know how you have it. And sometimes there'll be uh, someone or a couple of people where they one of two things happens. They either go, ah, oh, that's, uh, I, I can't, I don't know why, but I've just never really focused in on them. But they are really strong in terms of who we are as an organization, but also they're really humble. They're very driven. They're very hungry and they're really great. They're, you know, emotionally intelligent. They know when they're, they're not the sort of person who makes messes and, and sort of offends people and doesn't realize it. They tend to be quite good at, at, at picking up what people are thinking and how they're going and then vice versa. Sometimes there'll be people where they go, we had this person on a track for leadership, but, and maybe it's just because they're competent, you know, right? They're a great individual contributor. But when you look at these other traits that often I think make a, make a great leader, they're not really in line with the, with some of the values of the company and they really need to grow a lot in, um, you know, humility or, or when it comes to, 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 you know, to how people smart, you know, emotional intelligence. And it's funny how it's people always assume when they're doing that exercise that, that, that it, nothing new will come out of it. But I love what you said there because it's a similar thing. It's like when you look objectively at your people, if you can try to take a step back and see them differently in terms of their potential, take off the, take off the bias, take off the normal lens, it's surprising how you can realize like you did with your team, oh, there are some people here who are amazing. And for some reason, we haven't been investing in them as much as we could have. So I really love that. That's um, I, I love the fact that you mentioned about humility. That actually is something that I've, I haven't really included in assessing people. But that is such an important trait. Like you, you want to be able to work with people who actually are both good, of course, but also have that sense of awareness that they're not always perfect or the best and there's always room for improvement and that humility stands out a lot which you know um i'm coming to realize also that a lot of leaders may not necessarily be humble themselves and that's probably (laughs) part of the bias (laughs) yeah yeah it it is uh you know there's a there's a great uh a great saying which is that pride blinds you know and i think that's that's one of the biggest problems when you if you um, if you struggle with pride, I, I think when, um, and I mean, we all struggle with pride at different levels and we all have our triggers of things where we go, oh, it's really hard to admit that I dropped the ball there or I have a weakness there. But if someone really has, um, uh, you know, struggles with a lack of humility, I think the biggest challenge is they're often blind to it because it's actually that very thing that can, so they literally may not be aware of that. And so I think you're right when you, and that's really hard when you're leading up to a leader who's got that challenge. I think, and I and I work with a lot of leaders where that's the case, and it's I'm always a little bit, a little bit stuck for words because there's it's such a challenging. It just makes every communication. It may it just adds this sort of uh, taint to everything you do that makes it harder, <laughs> and, and makes it unpredictable, and it makes connection more difficult because, yeah. So I, I agree. I think it's so important. 
Um, well, Lindsay, this has been uh, so much fun. I've so enjoyed uh, chatting with you. As we as we land now, did you have any final thoughts uh, for anyone listening? Yeah, again, thank you for the opportunity here. I, I've been learning a lot through our conversations as well, and I'm hoping that the listeners out there have gotten little nuggets of, of insights from, from our discussion. Um, and, and really, I, I just want to thanks for the opportunity and making sure that, you know, hopefully leaders out there or anyone else can, can get something out of this. Yeah, I think they definitely will. I think your, um, I think your stories and I think your story went from where you, from where you've come from and how, you know, sharing about your time in Poland. I think so much of that was so relatable and, um, uh, I think I think it will be a really big encouragement to to people listening, and hopefully, as with your not for profit for um, for uh, you know women who might be listening, who might be realizing yes. even themselves they've had a bias against themselves in leadership, and to go maybe I could do that, or maybe I need to find somewhere else where I am valued, or uh, because I I love your perspective on that as well. So thank you, and. Uh, Thank you to all of our listeners for for tuning in. I really appreciate you. the The heart of everything we do with um, with clarity is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be, and to fill the world with healthy organisations that people love to work at and that customers line up to buy from. That's really the heart of everything we do. And this podcast is really about investing in you. And uh, so I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and also ask if you haven't already, if you'd consider following subscribing and if you really enjoyed this episode uh, with Lindsay Hua then why don't you um, share this with your network with a friend because that really helps us to get the word out and to help more leaders to become the very best they can be Uh, so thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. 
and uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.